0: Hello and welcome once again to episode 53 of Code Completion. We're a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be our host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Fernando. Hello. And today we have a special guest, Matt Rongi. Welcome to the show.
1: Hi there. Good to be here.
0: It's good to have you. So before we get into our interview, uh, let's dive into our Indie App Spotlight. So, today we are checking out Time Deck by Caleb Panza, an iPhone widget app. So, Time Deck does one thing and it does it well. In its own words, it's a widget and it tells time. Yeah, it's that simple. Time Deck does this by adjusting its color throughout the day, giving you an at a glance view of what time it is in any part of the world. Uh, time Deck is completely free to use, uh, but has options to treat Caleb to a coffee, lunch, or a family dinner. Uh, so, go download it today and let them know how awesome it is. So if you are any developer, we also want to hear from you. Please reach out to us on Twitter at Code Completion via DM so we can spotlight your app in the future as well. So let's start at the way beginning. How did you get into development, Matt?
1: Yeah, so I've been um I've been doing development for a long time. Uh it started for me with um I started on the Mac, actually. Uh so this was in the nineties. And at the time, I was messing around a lot with Photoshop on the Mac. This was like Mac OS classic, like Mac OS 8, Mac OS 7, maybe. I play around with a lot of that stuff. System and I 7. just was, yeah, having tons of fun on the computer. It just got deeper and deeper. And eventually, I found Apple Script. And Apple Script led to, you know, then I learned about programming. And that lear- from there, That I went deeper into other areas, dabbled in real basic. Um, dabbled with some C programming and then really, truly learned to program actually on a DOS machine. I used uh, turbo Pascal and, um, that's, uh, that's how I got into like really, truly learning how to program. And, uh, at the time I did some real basic apps and would ship them do, I was a part of the shareware scene then in mm-hmm. the late nineties, early two thousands. And so I do some apps with real basic and sell those there and pretty much got hooked. Uh, eventually, then when OS X came out, I uh, switched over to uh, Coco and Objective C. So long time Mac developer. Um, I just had tons of fun with it.
0: Awesome, and I think we all do. I I remember like back in the day collecting Mac addict CDs and yes. diving right into the games folder that was included yes, on all them.
1: Mac addict. Wow, I haven't heard that in a long time. Yeah, that was. Um, so I got like some of my shareware on some of the Mac addict CDs. Macworld CDs, and I was, like, super proud of that at the time. It was a great way to distribute stuff. Um, what was the... Version Tracker was another one. i go to Version Tracker, look for stuff to download. Yeah, that was different time.
0: Different times. Uh, so, how, what was the process like actually getting an app that you built onto a Mac Attic CD at the time? Do you just ring them up uh, and say, can you include this, <laughs> yeah, please?
1: Yeah, how... How did I do that? I can't even remember how. Um, I think it was through emailing folks at, um, well, it's because you had to, I think I had to get a review. Um, like, I got mm-hmm. a review in the magazine. And somewhere in my house, I still actually have some of the old magazines um, that some of my stuff was was reviewed in. Uh, and so, like, if you were a review, you could get on a CD. But how exactly I got the review, I don't remember. I don't remember <laughs> if I went emailing journalists or if they found me via like version tracker i don't honestly remember um uh, yeah yeah because that was pretty much my launch plan at the time was pretty much like get on version tracker like get on the different download sites that was my Mm -hmm. my way of launching something
0: okay Uh, so fast forward to the iphone comes out uh, and the ipad comes out and you make an app called astropad is that correct
1: yeah, so this was uh, a bit into the, the iPad had been around for a little bit when we first did mm-hmm. Astropad. Um, I'm trying to think how many – this was before the Apple, uh, Apple Pencil. So mm-hmm. Astropad actually predates the Apple Pencil. And for those that don't know, Astropad is an app that mirrors part of your screen so that you can draw. You can use it like a drawing tablet, and it streams – Copy your screen there, and you can draw right on it really natural, much like a Wacom Cintiq, which are usually ungodly expensive and really nice yeah. pieces of equipment, huge, bulky, expensive. We wanted to replace that. That was really the goal with Astropad. When we started, there was no Apple Pencil. So at the time, we were using third-party styluses. Our favorite at the time was Adonit was the name of the company, and they would make these, like, Bluetooth styluses. They were okay. They were nowhere near the, the Apple Pencil. Uh, but – um Yeah, that's how we got started with with Astropad, Uh, and it was about a year into Astropad. We had already launched it when the Apple Pencil came out, and that totally changed everything for us. Like, all of a sudden, we had a professional-caliber stylus, because before that, we knew that eh, it wasn't quite there, but our hope was that either Apple would eventually do it or a third party would crack it and make something precise enough. Right. So we were hoping with time— uh,
2: sorry, sorry, keep going.
1: Oh no, no, please go for it.
2: Oh uh, yeah, I was I was just gonna ask uh, before we keep going like further, uh, further closer to the present. Uh, what were you doing uh, before you went into AstroPad? Like, were you actively developing as a as a developer somewhere, or were you freelanc- freelancing?
1: Yeah, I was. Fr- I was freelancing at the time. That's a good question. So I was freelancing. And I was actually freelancing with um, my co-founder, Giovanni, Giovanni Donelli, who I met at Apple. We were Apple interns long nice. ago now, it, it feels like. This was in the iPod era. Uh, right. I was actually an intern there when the, when the um, iPhone was first revealed, so it was around that time. Um, and uh, Giovanni had worked there for a while, and later... I uh, pretty much got sick of working at Apple, went, stuck out on his own too, and I was like, hey, I've got like more freelance work going on here um, than than I can handle. You want to join up with me <laughs> and let's work on this together? Uh, and, and we did. We were doing email apps. I had a, uh email framework I had built called MailCore that made it easier to build like an IMAP SMTP client. It was originally for the Mac, but I made it so that it could run on the iPhone, and that was really popular. So I did a lot of contracting freelance work around that but you know we didn't love doing freelance work it just wasn't our wasn't our GM we were really trying to get into product development and um, astropad was our first serious uh, serious attempt at that
2: how, how did it come about are you like an artist do you draw or was it just like oh this like the iPad ne- needs to be a um, part of my screen
1: yeah kind of all of the above so it started with uh, Giovanni went for a run and saw a advertisement for a um, Microsoft Surface, and I think mm-hmm. we'd been doing some iPad stuff at the time. And his question is like, "Yeah, I wonder why you can't do that." Like in in the ad, they were using Photoshop on the on the Surface, and he was like, "Gosh, I wonder why you know why can't you do that with the iPad?" I was like, "That's a great question. What if you could?" <laughs> And so that's kind of where it began, and it, and it resonated with me right away because, as I mentioned, going back to the 90s when I first got started with the computers, I dabbled with Photoshop. I had a graphics right. tablet. I played around with that stuff. So while I was amateur at best, I was very familiar with it. So when he mentioned it, I was like, okay, yes, this is absolutely, like this would be, be a killer thing. So we started working on it. Uh, took us a long time to build it it was the two of us and and so we freelanced and then worked on the side on on astropad over time we spent more and more time as astropad became more serious and like uh we were give demos and people were pretty impressed by it and we would get more then we started spending more time on astropad than than contracting but the it took almost a year to get there. I would say like in the beginning of the year we were like one day a week on AstroPad, four days a week contracting. By the end of the year we were like four days a week on Astropad, one day a week contracting. Wow. It started to started to flip. Just um and then right before we launched, we told uh the the main company we were working with at the time, we're like, hey, like we need we need we're working on a, a pet project. We need like a month off. To like launch this, uh, and uh, there, we did that. The launch went really well. It's like, hey, <laughs> we're not going to be coming back. <laughs> we're not going to be contracting anymore. Which it wasn't. It wasn't a done deal at that point. It wasn't that like sales were super super. They were good, but they weren't like they weren't enough to replace our um, freelancing income. But the sales were enough that we knew we had to give this a shot. Right. Mm-hmm. Like it was like, we got something here. Let's let's go for it.
2: That's that's so awesome. During during this period, um I'm sure you knew like from uh from the question, from the first question, you knew like this this was something like interesting, at least worth exploring. When in the process was it like when did you cross uh, cross that point where you realized like wow this is like this isn't just me this is a nice product this is something we should build
1: like was it during a presentation or I've uh, yeah I've got a good story about that actually um, so I went to WWC. so I live in uh, the Minneapolis Minnesota area my mm-hmm. co-founders in the San Francisco area. I went out to San Francisco for WWDC and, you know, bet up with Giovanni while we're out there. And we took advantage of that time to meet and talk about Astropad as well. Um, And through, like, a a friend, it was like a friend of a friend type situation, we got connected to somebody at Pixar. We got connected to an animator at Pixar. So we're like, wow, that's really cool. Like, we've been talking to some, like, amateur artists um, but this is, like, a serious pro. Like This is this person, like, lives on a Wacom Cintiq. We'd love to get their feedback. And so we just asked, you know, like, hey, can we just stop by for a coffee at Pixar and show you what we're working on? He was like, sure. So we went over there, and we showed it to him. Uh, we just, we went in the main, like, Pixar cafeteria and, you know grab some coffees and sitting down and explaining what we're doing and show it to him. And he starts drawing in Photoshop on the iPad and he's just drawing, he's just drawing. And then (laughs) after a little while he looks at us and he goes, guys, this is going to be a really big deal. (laughs) And we're like, whoa, (laughs) whoa, whoa. We just got like praise from like a super pro. That was saying, right. this is a legit tool we're building here. So, at that point, actually, we uh, we had two clients at the time. We went back home. We fired one of our clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. went cut cut down even even more. Um, it was actually a client we didn't like that much anyway. So, it wasn't... <laughs> it was <laughs> always <laughs> easy then. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but we knew we were giving up income right then and there. But um, we were just like, we've... We've got something on our hands here. Um, Still, we didn't know if it would sell. The launch would come later. This was probably about six months, I would say, before the launch. The the Pixar artist told us. He was like, yeah, this is a big deal. So that was the moment right there uh, was like, oh, wow. We got something. We got something. We got something. Um, So that was the key. Before that, it was like a cool tech demo before that point it was like this is super cool we think this is amazing will anyone actually use this i don't know we will but anybody else i don't know that was that was the turning point
2: that's a great story that's that's a great story it's always hard uh in the beginning because like as a developer uh everyone everyone who's a developer knows that you get amazing quote-unquote amazing ideas all the time and you start building yeah. them and then Sure, they're nice. You shoot to some people, they they give you praise, but like getting getting the like the AOK from a pro that's and someone from from like at the very top. Like when you think animation, yeah. like Pixar is basically the number 1 hit I would I would say. Yeah, that's yeah. so awesome. Yeah. So
1: yeah, this it was that was it was great.
0: So how long did it take for AstroPad to go from Basically, a pet project that you really wanted to succeed to something that is fully backing your development efforts, something that you can build a business off of?
1: Yeah, so the um, the initial development phase was about 18 months. Uh, it was a lot harder to build than we thought. Um, then once we released it, it was... I would say six months to a year uh, before it really started to take off. Uh, we had we launched in, oh, what was it? Was it January or February? I can't quite remember which one of those months it was. But in the spring was probably the lowest time for us because the – Euphoria of the launch had faded away. Uh, sales were dropping because the, we got further away from the launch. There was less excitement around it. And so that was a that was a tough time. Um, it was in the summer we started to turn things around, and then the fall things really started to take off. Um, we had polished up. We were we were lucky in that. Our timing was such that by the time Apple Pencil had arrived, we had already had like a good amount of time polishing the software at that point. Mm -hmm. So we were in a really good spot. Um, We were really lucky there.
0: Right situation Um, at the right place kind of
1: thing. Absolutely, absolutely. Because before that, we had been polishing, polishing, improving, adding features, taking customer feedback, improving, improving, improving. And then I want to say that fall is when the Apple Pencil came. And then we were ready to go. We were, you know, already things had been looking up for us before that. But then that was like Mm -hmm. turbocharged things.
0: So from that point forward, sales just continued. Did you put any specific effort into marketing uh, Astropad at that
1: point? Yeah, we did. That's actually something we did during the summer. But like starting in the spring when things got tougher for us, we started Mm -hmm. to do some specific marketing. One thing we did right away that helped us a lot is we sw- we were originally charging just for the Mac app,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the iPad app was free. We flipped that on its head. We um, mm. we started charging for the iPad app, and we made the Mac app free. Um, and so that meant we could charge in the App Store. So that that we also lowered the price, uh, and that helped. That helps. Each of these things helped.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Apple had also noticed what we were doing um and they were really encouraging us the app store team was really encouraging us to charge through the app store so that Mm -hmm. was another reason we made the switch as well too um it did pay off because in the future we did we did end up getting some features out of that too where they feature us on the app store and that helped a lot as well um there wasn't like one big marketing thing we did uh it was a, a series of Of many things like I was you know describing like changing how we price it and sell it another thing was we made a version of our website showing how you could use it for photography and retouching and so Mm -hmm. we shot a new video we did a bunch of like graphics and uh, different things showing how you could use it with photography and then we approached a bunch of different photography sites and we're like hey check this out and so that was really successful for us because it all of a sudden opened up a new um, new market to us that previously didn't know about Astropad. And that helped a ton as well because, well, frankly, photographers are used to spending a lot of money on gear. Illustrators, yeah. not as much. Illustrators tend to be uh, not you know, not as much a t- typically spent spending as much on gear as photographers photographers have crazy expensive lenses and lighting and cameras and you know like they're they're used to that um so you show up with uh you know a 30 to 50 dollar tool and it's like yeah no problem um so we had some really good sales out of that going after um uh the photographers we also released the iphone version uh as well that you could use on like um you know the larger iphones you could use it on <laughs> um that helped draw attention it was we've actually discontinued that since it was never a big success for us but it helped we were able to get a feature out of it an apple feature out of it we did force touch like i think that was what it was called at the time 3d touch force touch whatever it was <laughs> yeah um we we did that um also helped us get more attention more people know about us Um, so it was worth it for the marketing effort, but the iPhone version eventually just kind of nobody was using it. So we discontinued it, but it was uh, many things like that. Those are some of them that come to Mm -hmm. mind that kind of moved the needle the most for us.
0: Constantly working at it. Basically never, never constantly (laughs) working at it.
1: Yeah. Just like the app. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a lot. Yeah. I was doing uh, adding new revisions, you know, keep, updating and improving the app, make it faster, 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 faster. That was something we always got from users. It was like, we wanted to be faster, lower latency, faster, lower latency, you know? And so we just drive, 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 drive um, to get that. Uh, And over time, that's why we were in a really good spot when the Apple Pencil came around.
0: So what was the inspiration that pushed you past AstroPad and into uh, Luna? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, yeah, great question. Um, it actually came directly out of AstroPad uh, because AstroPad only mirrors. AstroPad mirrors your screen, and that's, that's cool. Uh, but one thing that the Wacom Cintiqs do is they act as a full screen. So when you're drawing on them, it's, they're not just mirroring another screen, they're like a full screen. So there was that. We wanted feature parity. With the Wacom Cintiq, that was like our goals. Like we want to build a Wacom replacement. In order to do that, we also need second screen support. The other thing is if your aspect ratio on your screen didn't match the iPad, you'd get these black bars on the top and the bottom, Mm -hmm. almost like a TV, right? Like a movie that doesn't quite Mm -hmm. fit on a TV right. It would look like that. So that's kind of a bummer, not using all the screen real estate. And people would ask us, like, how can I use this for my full canvas? And we'd be like, well, you can't really because – which you're mirroring the aspect ratio doesn't match. So that was a customer frustration. Um, And then our customers, too, just were like, we want more screen real estate. And so we're like, hmm, okay. How can we make it so that you can use Astropad as a second screen while drawing on it? So we investigated it. We looked at all the different APIs and the ways to do this. turns out there's no good way to do it through software. Um, Mm -hmm. at the time that, uh, there were some hacky ways to go about doing it, but it didn't have GPU support. Photoshop barely ran in it. Like it was a pile of hacks, a mile deep to do it. So we're like, all right, this isn't going to work. Like we absolutely need GPU support. Like our people are drawing, They're, they're using 3d rendering stuff. Like we need, like this needs to be reliable. Plus we didn't feel good about building a major feature on a pile of hacks. Like, it just seemed like a maintenance nightmare. Like, we did not feel good about it. It's cool as a proof of concept, but as, like, something to build a business around, eh, not really. So, we're like, hmm. So, then what happened is um, we had users, believe it or not, that would take the headless dongles you would use for, like, a server farm where you would plug in the back to have a screen that shows up. So you could like, remote in and things. So these, like, headless, you can get them off Amazon. And they would use those, and they would customize them so that it would match AstroPad. So they could literally get AstroPad on this. And we're like, holy crap. Like, our users are going to this extent to get second screen support? They're, like, hacking third-party hardware? <laughs> like, maybe we should make the hardware ourselves. Because then we can, like, make sure it works smoothly out of the box. Like, we can... Make sure you plug it in and it integrates with AstroPad and it's easy and it's awesome. Yeah, let's do that. Well, so then we started dabbling in the hardware space. We got connected <laughs> to a friend that uh, actually a f- former Apple um, colleague. He was an intern with us as well, actually. Um, but he was on the hardware side of things. And he was doing a hardware startup. He kind of showed us the ropes a little bit where to where to get started. And we, we started dabbling with hardware. Wow. And... Um, our, yeah, did our you, goal
2: did you end yeah. up hiring like any of the of your hacker customers?
1: <laughs> no, we didn't. We didn't. <laughs> they definitely um because uh none of them were like necessarily like like hardware engineers. They were just like right. really passionate They're
0: happy being creative.
1: Com- engineers, yeah, computer just engineers, computer enthusiasts, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh and just like Knew enough to be dangerous, you know, and like would cobble together like (laughs) these different third party utilities and these like dongles off Amazon and, you know, this (laughs) duct tape arrangement of stuff. (laughs) Still, Um, it
2: feels like unbelievable. I mean, it it really speaks again, coming back to to the like the the amazingness of the idea that people were that passionate, right? Just tagging things around to make it work.
1: Yeah. And that was it was like people want this really, really bad. (laughs) <laughs> like, so we should try to we should try to make it easier and then it also fit with our like okay we want to be like a Wacom replacement so like, right. like yeah. to really truly be a replacement like we need this feature and uh, yeah we, we that was a journey in itself building the hardware um, but uh, yeah we were eventually able to pull it off we did a kickstarter um, but during the development okay long-winded way to to answer your question here <laughs> during the development we were playing with it so this was originally only supposed to be a add-on for AstroPad
2: mm-hmm.
1: but while using it we're like holy crap this is really cool like we had the AstroPad feeling all over again where we're like using this and we're like this is so good Like, this shouldn't be just for Astropad customers. Like, this needs to be a product on its own because this is by far the best second display on an iPad we've ever seen. Um, It works really, really well because it it was backed by all the tech we'd built for Astropad. So really low-latency mirroring over Wi-Fi and then a true second display, not hacks without GPU support because you plug it in, the computer thinks it's a monitor. Mm-hmm. So it was just really, really good. And we're like, okay, that's it. <laughs> this is a spin off product. <laughs> so to this day, it still works with Astropad. You can plug in Luna and it'll con- detect Astropad and it'll work together and set everything up. But the vast, vast majority of our customers with Luna, with our hardware, use it standalone without Astropad. Uh, mm-hmm. And it became its own business in its own right.
2: You also blew the Kickstarter goal out of the water. I just found it um, for the original <laughs> yes, Kickstarter. Yeah. <laughs> it was a yeah. 30,000 goal and you went 645,000. So people, I, I could, we could probably say that people wanted this.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> and again, that was, it was much like our AstroPen launch. We weren't sure going into it. Mm-hmm. Again, wow. we were like, we think this is awesome. The people we yeah. show it to thinks it's awesome. But will people pay money for it? And the other thing is there were um, software stuff out there, software apps. They're kind of hacky, kind of were, kind of didn't. But for some people, they worked good enough. And they'd be like 10 bucks. And we're like, okay, we're going to charge you know way more for a hardware piece. Uh, is anybody willing to pay that? Or are people just <laughs> going to say, eh, I don't really care. I already got this software thing. It's good enough. Um, and yeah, as you can see from the Kickstarter, we got a resounding answer and the answer was yes. Yeah. Very much. Wow. Loved it.
0: I'm actually using one right now. So our listeners can't see this, but I'm sharing a screen with everyone for our like show notes. And this is running off of an iPad running <laughs> off of a Luna display. That's connected oh, that's to my awesome. Mac pro. Uh, and it's mounted that's like awesome. right above the camera. So that way it's like in perfect line of sight. Um, oh, so yeah, that's I awesome. have one that's really here
1: too. I love that.
0: And then, and then I have another four that are connected to Mac minis. I don't think you can see them. They're like in that little cubby <laughs> over there. Uh, wow. And those are like older it. versions of Mac OS on each uh, Mac mini. And I just use that as a screen. So that way the Mac minis are all tidied away uh, oh, wow. out of sight. So yeah, big fan. That's great. <laughs> so was it, that's great. Was it you, Dimitri? Were you the hacker? I was not the hacker. No. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: you wouldn't be surprised now if you told me you were like, "Yeah, I figured it out." Figured out <laughs> uh, it was uh, a was, was third-party utility too. I can't remember. It was like Set Res X or something that allowed you to like change the resolution on a. Yeah. Anyway, it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty wild. That's such an amazing. I, I
2: mean, uh, Jobs. Jobs said it before that if you. If you really love software, you gotta get your own hardware or something yeah. along those lines. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's so cool to to hear a story like yours, where you go into software and they're like, "No, I, we we need to to get better," and the only way is through hardware. And uh, I'm I'm not uh, uh, I'm sorry to say I'm not as a, f- uh, a fan uh, of Luna Display, not because I, I don't like it. I just haven't hadn't heard before. Yeah, sure. I like Dimitri. Yeah. Uh, but I'm looking at it and it's just gorgeous. Like you like the product is just. A, a tiny dungle and so it's it's such a cool product, it yeah, thank nice you that box. was that goes
1: to Giovanni, who had the original inspiration there with it um where he really wanted it to be gem like that's what he kept calling it he's like, it oh, feels I want it to be like a, yeah, I want it to be like a gem on your computer, so it was obnoxiously hard to get it as small <laughs> as it is, like we could mu- we could have much more easily made something that um you know, had like a a tail coming off of it, you know, that you'd plug in. Uh, right. Almost more like a, a USB-C hub, right? Like that form mm-hmm. factor as much. But to get it within that small enclosure, that was tricky. That was very tricky.
2: Well, you did it, so <laughs>
1: congrats. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was uh and and our and our first hardware product, so that was um thankfully we we found a lot of good people on the way that helped us out to make it a reality you know good hardware engineers, industrial designers and all the all the like that uh helped us out
0: so what is was it at this point that you decided to grow your team past the two of you, or did you do that before mm.
1: yeah, we did that before Luna um we had a marketing person we had support we had oh one or two engineers at that point we were still small i mean we're still small we're still a small team um but we were really small then we were like five people when we when Mm -hmm. we did luna and uh luna also did force us to to grow the team further because if you're going to support a hardware product there's just more. There's just more to do. There's logistical stuff too, like manu- manufacturing it, getting that from there to a distribution center, distribution center to ship it to places. Like, there's just more involved there than than you know delivering an app via the app store. So that forced us to grow our team even more. Today we're around about a dozen people. Uh, we'll, we're going to be growing again because we just launched on Windows um, and. <laughs> Now that we're multi-platform, we need we need more uh, more help as well. Uh, so that'll be be grown the the. But it's it's become complicated enough where we need a, a larger team. You know, we have hardware, we have software, across Mac, Windows, iOS. Uh, it's and then all the other things I talked about the the logistical details of building and shipping hardware product, right? So there's we've been forced to uh, really expand. It's it's big enough that like me and my co-founder alone can't do it anymore. We need we need right. the help mm-hmm. of many other people at this point.
0: So let's talk about windows a little bit. So Apple yeah. comes out with uh Sidecar, I think that's what it's called. Yes. Um I haven't used yes. it since <laughs> since they announced it uh because I have a perfect solution already. Um, so <laughs> well, I'm happy to hear uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> so Apple comes out with this thing and uh, you all pretty much decide that you're in trouble uh like how how did that yeah. conversation happen
1: that was tough that was some real yeah. tough times uh we to be honest i was um more concerned about like touch max than i was apple doing something luna like mm-hmm. uh, and, and that it still was actually happen, so that's good <laughs> yeah it didn't but that's actually going back to building luna That was another one of the reasons we did Luna was to diversify because we felt Astropad was very vulnerable if there was a Touch Mac that existed. And we figured Mm -hmm. if Apple was going to do a Touch Mac, it would support Pencil. And then it would be like, well, what's the point of Astropad then? So we were thought, well, okay, even if they introduce a Touch Mac, you're still going to want to have a second display for it. So, like, Luna is a good, good way to improve Astropad and hedge our bets as well um so we didn't really see it coming because we also didn't think that they were they've been so like adamant about like the mac ui shouldn't be used for touch so we're like yeah well if you put it on an ipad you got to touch it so they're just we just don't think they're going to do this like we knew it was a risk we were totally blind to it but we're like we just don't think they're going to do this i think you uh, still
0: can't touch with sidecar like you're limited yeah, to using the pencil
1: that's right they turned off the 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 touch interaction you can only interact with pencil which is i guess one way to get around it with our we allow full touch interaction we mm-hmm. you know zoom pan the whole whole nine yards um so that really rocked us um that was hard too because the team was already we were already about a dozen people and so yeah tell them like you know they saw what was happening and had to had to, uh Had to tell them then that our plan was to get to Windows. Um, It was was tough. It was was not a sure thing by any means. Um, But we're like, hey, we're not going anywhere. We're going to stick this out. We're going to stick with what we've got. We're going to add features they don't have. We're going to find ways to compete. And long term, we're going to go to Windows. And that's um, what we did. We introduced a feature called Mac to Mac that allows you to use another Mac as a display rather than an iPad. So great for if you have an old iMac, you want to use it as a display. That'll work with Luna. Um, Mm -hmm. That's been very popular, very, very popular. Um, Or just an old old laptop you want to use as well. Um, That's very popular as well. Um, Also introduced a way to use it, uh, like what you're doing, Dimitri, with um, Mac Minis, where you can kind of just plug it into a Mac Mini and kind of add a headless wireless display with your ipad um so that's uh that's been popular as well so those were new ways we found to compete and then um we uh, uh astropad also was was more competitive actually i would say because we had a lot deeper features than Sidecar, mm-hmm. a lot more customization and then um and then otherwise it was getting to windows but it was a really tough time for the whole team like we were fighting tooth and nail to, to to keep things going. Uh it was it was it was not pretty. Um I remember waking up and being like, Is this is this a nightmare? Did I have a really bad dream? And it was like, Nope, 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 nope. This is this is reality. Like we're competing with Apple now. Uh Yeah.
2: Not we not just, to get too, too, too into the weeds there, but like um, I read your your Twitter your very recent Twitter thread. Yeah. And yeah. one of the one of the really interesting points for me was at uh, this point uh at this point of, in the story your whole code base is an objective C. Yes. Yes. Right? So you want to ask the same thing. <laughs> we, yes. we could just like it has a C on it in it, so you can probably just run it on Windows, right?
0: Yeah, it's cocotron, right?
1: Nope. We tried. <laughs> Let me tell you, we tried. Uh we tried using GNU step. We tried. The problem was there was a lot of big pieces missing. Mm-hmm. It's, right. It's the not yeah. Arc.
0: No. <laughs> oh, yep. Sorry.
1: Uh well, in things like um uh, uh what was it? Um lib dispatch or like the um mm-hmm. what's the other name for it? Uh Grand, Central, Grand Dispatch. Central Dispatch, GCD. Mm. We used that heavily. And it at the time, at least, there was no Windows port. Now, Apple had one internally, but there was nothing public. Um, and there were some mm-hmm. people trying oh. to do, like, open source versions, but, like, They're not I the don't same. know. Yeah, yeah. A th- an alpha threading library, like an alpha quality threading <laughs> library that you're building around. It's just like, no, that's just not. And so we knew we had it to shift away. Um, C++ was an obvious answer, but none of us particularly liked C++. I'd done <laughs> I done C does. No, no. And I couldn't <laughs> imagine building a giant code base on C++. Like we didn't have the experience. Nobody was excited about it. Uh, and then somebody on our team was like, "Well, what about rust?" And I was like, and we were like, well, yeah, what what about it? Because um, I knew about it because I'd seen it, and I was like, oh, is that, like, mature enough now? Like, can you actually use that now? Because I'd seen when it was first released. He was like, yeah, 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 it's really good for cross-platform stuff. I'm like, all right, let's, <laughs> we explored it some. Like, he <laughs> put together a presentation on why he thought Rust, uh, this is Jeremy and our team, why he thought Rust was a good solution. And we're like, hey, do you want to, like, rewrite a major portion of it? Um, because the other thing i should tell you is within it in order to pull this off there's actually a custom network transport layer instead of tcp Mm -hmm. in there (laughs) and there's also a custom video codec in there oh so yeah so it's like hyper optimized so there was a lot of code and he was like yeah no i'm super excited about porting this to rust and the rest of the team too was like yeah this is uh this is great let's 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 do it, um, and so that was like our obvious. It seemed like a very future, forward-looking language. Our team was excited about it. It wasn't C plus <laughs> plus, and so we started a big rewrite in in Rust. We also tried. I think it was Win Objective C. It was a project out of Microsoft, uh, but it was being deprecated by Microsoft as well.
0: So we knew it wasn't
1: also a long term option. So we started this massive rewrite. It took two years. I can imagine. How did you was, How did
2: you go about it? Like just randomly picking files, file. or the cor- <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. So there are parts um, that got um, the network layer is really where we started. So there's different. We have like different components in there, um, and they have like different services within there. So it's like a like an architecture, we have these different services connected by the network layer. And so, it was like, okay, let's start with the network layer. And then once we do that, then we'll start turning on different services and rewriting those different services. And so, right. that that's the way mm-hmm. it went. The codec was easier because it was in a lot of C code already. And the parts that were Objective-C, I, I actually converted to C++ um, because That was pretty straightforward. See, the thing about the the codec is it's super high performance. So the code is pretty simple. Mm -hmm. Uh, It doesn't do a lot of object-oriented programming. It doesn't, like, anything fancy you pretty much don't want to do because it's slow. Uh, Mm -hmm. So it's very easy in that way where I could almost just change, like, the function signature and turn it into C++. So yeah. I was able to do that and um we're still running a lot of that a lot of that today. But it was really the network stuff that was heavy Objective C that was much harder to uh to port over. But I mean our team our team pulled it off. It was it was a <laughs> incredible effort, but they, they managed to do it and do a really good job.
0: So are you now using that Rust code on the iPad as well? Or is it just on the host's computer?
1: It's everywhere. Damn. It's everywhere. It's on the iPad, it's on Windows, it's on Mac. Now, on the iPad, the GUI layer on the iPad and the Mac, there is still a lot of Objective-C. Right. Um, mm-hmm. That's connected uh, to the UI. But all the infrastructure is Rust at this point. And, and on the iPad, um, I mean, there's some areas here and there where we've... Um, Rust makes it really easy to bridge to... Um, c so we use that to bridge into objective c and so that's mm, that that's depends. in a num- number of spots where we've kept some of the objective c stuff um, and then on windows it's you know again the rust core with a c sharp ui layer on top but it's a pretty did you thin UI. did you
2: end up like <laughs> mm-hmm. did you end up uh, like printing your old objective c code and then burning it down just like a <laughs> goodbye. No. no. Hold a funeral for No, it. maybe now's yeah. the time to do
1: it, though. Well, because it was only until recently that we actually like shipped and all our that's products right. are yeah. on it. So, yeah, maybe that's the the ceremony to put it to rest. Uh, RIP, R.I.P. Objective-C code. Um, Rust has been pretty incredible, though, that we're able to do stuff and deploy it on all the platforms. It's, and it's fast. It's super fast.
0: So, what was the most different part about Rust when you were learning about it and using it? And when it comes to your existing experiences programming up until this point,
1: um, one thing that um, it's probably the memory model because so Rust doesn't do garbage collection. Um, mm-hmm. It's essentially um, Using the compiler to track like the lifetimes of objects, and the compiler is sort of, sort of like uh, Objective C with where arc. with Arc, sort of like mm-hmm. kind of. Um, it's a different way of of doing it. Um, it doesn't use reference counting to do it. Instead, it, the you know, it's actually tracking stuff like, oh, when it goes out of scope, we need to delete this object so the compiler is tracking it but uh how that became difficult is in c in a number of places for performance reasons we were doing some funky memory stuff and some of that doesn't translate directly over to rust like it won't allow you like the the compiler one thing Mm -hmm. that's really cool about the compiler with rust is it'll prevent you from making race conditions in many cases from um like um you know, thread like m- prevents you from accessing the same memory from multiple threads, things like that, that you can't do. The compiler will yell at you. It won't compile the code if you try to do something like that. So tons nice. of memory safety issues go out, out the window. And so many of the things we were doing, if you weren't careful, would be um, uh, technically not memory safe. But how we were doing them, we knew they were. Mm-hmm. But the compiler looks at it, and it doesn't know that. It's like, nope, I'm not going to let you do that. <laughs> um, so some of those things couldn't be translated one-to-one for that reason. Um, mm. And that's one of the super powerful – I need to pull up the Rust website here, how they uh, um, describe it. But it, the it's kind of mind-blowing that it has that performance, and it has that, that level of, of safety –
0: it's a similar set of trade-offs than what Swift set out to do, like very first with memory safety and now with uh, actors and isolation actors, and stuff yeah. like that. Um, do you think that if you were to start this process today, not knowing about Rust, you would have jumped into using Swift, especially now that it's compatible with Windows? It wasn't B- like a few years ago. <laughs> before yeah. Before
2: you answer that, let me, let me go a little bit into the, the prequel of that question, which is... In, like, before Sidecar was announced, Swift was already out, right?
1: Mm hmm. Oh, yeah. So, yeah.
2: what are your thoughts? Like, going on Dimitri's question, would you do it? Or were there any thoughts at that point on migrating to Swift? Like,
1: well, um, pre Sidecar, no, not really. Like, we were aware of it, but, you know, we just. Eh, it wasn't a high priority. We were like, mm-hmm. yeah, at some point we're gonna have to do Swift, but you know, we're old school Objective C programmers. We're probably gonna be kicking and screaming when we when we do it. <laughs> yep. But um, I mean, there was a lot of cool stuff to like about Swift. We were just like so busy. We we're like, no, nah, we don't want to learn a new language. Like, whatever. <laughs> we're gonna keep working. <laughs> Little like did
0: you thing. know you'd be learning a <laughs> new language uh, yeah, very soon. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: we did look at Swift actually. For doing cross-platform stuff there's mm-hmm. a couple things though uh, the, the by far the biggest reason we didn't do Swift is because how closely tied Swift is to Apple at the end of the I was day, I say that Apple is the yeah. one that controls Swift, and there wasn't Windows support at the time. There were talk of adding Windows support, but then the thing is is, are they going to keep it up to date? Do yeah. they actually care? Um, I don't know, right? And that could change on a whim, right? Like it'd be like two years later, all of a sudden Apple's like, yeah, you know what? We decided we're deprecating Windows support. Yep. Right? So we we didn't want to be, especially because we were just burned by Sidecar, we didn't want to be coupled to Apple. So we're mm-hmm. like, all right, we want something that's really platform agnostic. And Rust was that. Rust goes everywhere. It's not tied to one platform or one development toolkit or it it runs everywhere. So we really like that about it. Another thing is actually the performance of, of Rust is actually higher performance often than than Swift as well. Like um, Swift, I didn't know it's gotten better over the years too, but you know mm-hmm. Swift, you can still get yourself into situations where you can write some pretty slow code. Versus Rust, um, I forgot what they call it again too, but they make it so that if you use like higher level abstractions in it, they've made it so that that always compiles down into something fast. Like, they're not going to add something to their standard library, their library in there that you use, and it's going to be slow. It's not like, oh, if I use this iterator, all of a sudden my code's going to be slow. No. From the beginning, Rust has been designed as, like, a high-performance language for, like, close-to-the-metal kind of work, and that actually Mm -hmm. fit well with our use case, where Swift was a little bit higher level, actually, a little bit higher level, mm-hmm. more UI, uh, which is great for the use case most people use it for. But for us, we needed that maximum performance, and Rust just seemed to seem to fit fit the bill for that. Plus, it it helped that our people were really excited about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, <laughs> Swift definitely lets you write unperformant code um, yeah. if you don't know what you're doing, um, but. There, there is quite a lot of like compiler smarts that do just like what you said, where it will take your map and turn it into a tightly, a tight for loop. Uh, at the end of the day, yep. after it can distill away all the checks and memory safety uh, verifications, um, you just need to make sure to compile in release mode. If you don't compile in release mode, it's gonna be yeah and slow. <laughs> I, and
1: I think that has gotten a lot better. Um, I mean, the same thing's true mm-hmm. Objective C as well. You can write really slow yeah. Objective C code. Sure, uh, I agree. But um, yeah, Rust just really has a, a uh, performance as one of their key objectives as a language. So that just that fit really naturally with what we needed to do. So I, there's a lot of things I wouldn't use Rust for, like it's it's uh-huh. you know sometimes it's <laughs> a, a power tool where you just need a hammer.
2: Right. Yeah. Though if you wanted to if you truly wanted to uh run everywhere like
1: Java would have been a great solution. No I'm kidding. It've been a dog slow and need a ton of memory. Yeah. Well actually Java's pretty fast, it just eats a ton of memory. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's gotten a lot faster at least, yeah. Well it seems,
2: it seems you went uh damn, you went through uh well, the trials and tribulations that that Apple put in your way like Moving moving uh, moving from Objective C to rust while competing with sidecar while trying not to like give up That's not, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not yeah we can business. laugh about it
1: now, but <laughs> yeah oh it was it was hard, it was really hard. Um, and the project took way longer than we thought too, so right yeah, it just felt like it kept dragging on.
2: Uh, that software.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was totally. It was classic software project. It can't possibly take that long. No, it will, especially
0: the rewrite. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the rewrite. Yeah,
1: yeah. Because we we so didn't you... want to break the Mac app because we had all these existing mm-hmm. features right. in the Mac yeah. app. It needed to have feature parity. So it was mm-hmm. like, oh.
0: From step one, um so you did another Kickstarter for the Windows version, correct? If, that, if my memory yes. serves me correctly. Yes. Um, right. And how would you say the the launch has gone? Because the Windows version has come out, and you are running your victory laps around uh, at this point.
1: Definitely, definitely. We we're much more relaxed now. <laughs> no that, <laughs> now that it's shipped. Uh, Yeah, we you know we felt really good about the Kickstarter. Um, for us, while it wasn't as big as the Mac Kickstarter had been. It was close to it, Um, and so that made us feel really good that there was definitely an opportunity here, that there was definitely uh, a um, large market out there. And so that was was good. Um, Otherwise, you know, I would say the release, the Windows release overall, took longer than we originally thought. Um, But we're just saying that's kind of software, especially the network layer. The network layer was really tricky to get right. Because we're trying to make it work on both platforms, and we wanted to make it so that we could swap the Mac apps. Like, We wanted to swap the guts of the Mac apps without users noticing.
2: Right. And that mm-hmm. was
1: hard. It was really hard. We, we managed to do an incredible job. The team did an amazing job at it. Um, I was expecting a lot more bugs than we got um, just because it's a ton of new code, but it's been remarkably smooth. Um, and And the Windows launch has gone really, really well. There's been a lot of interest in it. Um, that was also another, another fear of ours is, are people still interested in this product? You know, it's taken us longer than we wanted to get here. Is there still demand? What does the market look like? Are Windows users willing to pay for this? A new dongle? The answer is yes. Uh, it, it's <laughs> done, done really, really, it's done really well. We got great press coverage too for our launch and I'm really, really happy with how it's gone.
2: Awesome. i just... Yeah, I'm just a broken record here, but I'm going over the um, the Kickstarter for the Windows. Oh uh, yes, it's just such a like a, a an amazing product. It just makes so much sense. Like I now I get why Dimitri has like five of them. It's just <laughs> if, I, if I yeah, if I had a couple of Mac Minis, uh, yeah. I would totally get one because it's just it's perfect for a lot of use cases, and I can see. Uh, taking words from the famous jobs, this is like a glass of ice water uh, for, for someone in hell.
1: Well, that was <laughs> that was actually what we wanted to do for um, Windows as well, is we really wanted to have uh, a level of polish that you often don't see yeah. in Windows apps. We wanted to bring what we had done on the Mac and bring it. And, and I think we did. I really think we did. We, we did a lot of the stuff we do on the Mac. And we added it to the to the windows stuff we've gotten great reviews from it too one of my favorite was paul uh thoreau he's a big guy in the windows community if you don't if you don't know him he does uh thoreau.com and he he sent us a message after we sent him a demo unit he's like this works really really well i was like yes <laughs> <laughs> that's what we were going for right like we want to try to bring that plug and play and smooth software experience to windows customers uh, and you can totally do it on Windows. we did it. we did it, it I mean it wasn 't easy mm-hmm. uh, but but it was not easy on the Mac either to, to right. do mm-hmm. stuff it 's never easy to make you know and there 's still of course bugs and a lot of stuff we need to we need to fix, but uh, i 'm really, really happy with how the initial uh, release went uh, just I, I just thought we 'd have tons more bugs than we did.
0: Well, if it was easy, then everyone would be doing it, right? It's that's that that's, it's what, hard, I, that's that what I try to the hard say work all the time.
1: Into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when we're, when we're stuck and we're in, a, you know, not the best mental state, I'd be like, so, that's what I try to remind myself. Well, <laughs> this is easy, you know. There'd be a lot of competitors and this wouldn't be a good space to go in. And But it's not easy and that's, you know, that's why we're doing it and that's why we're we're able to build a business around it.
2: And and that's also software, uh as long as you give customers more value than bugs you'll yeah. be fine like they'll complain yeah. if both are like pretty close yeah but as long as value is on top uh you're in business
1: yeah yeah <laughs> yeah
0: okay. so what's next the touchscreen device that so that way you are non relying on apple at all
1: <laughs> that'd be amazing maybe an android tablet we do our own android tablet Luna for Linux. It'll be the
0: only Android tablet. There's no more left.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's true. It's true. Uh, Yeah. What? What? What is next? Well, for us, the big next thing is we brought Luna to Windows first, but we need to bring Astropad to Windows. Um, Mm. We actually have uh, for our main flagship version now is called Astropad Studio. It has the most features in it, and it's a subscription app. And it's available on the Mac. Um, it's got a lot more features in Sidecar. So we know a number of people stick with it for that reason. Things like pressure curves and all sorts of per-app customizations. Things that really matter. Even some things like tap to two-finger tap to undo, right? Like, that doesn't work in Sidecar. Like, that would drive me crazy. We have a lot of those sorts of features. And you can customize it. If you don't want ta- two-finger tap to do un- undo, you want it to change the color to red, you know, you can do that. Uh, right. So... We need to bring that to Windows. We have a free mm-hmm. beta. We call it Project Blue, blue as in Windows. Uh, you can check it out. You can download it for free right now. It's still like, it's still very much beta. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're gonna take all the good work we did on Luna, and we're gonna we're gonna bring it to Astropad. So then Astropad is gonna be a um, cross-platform product. You're gonna be able to use your iPad with your Windows or your Mac computer. And I'm really excited about that, too, because we've had a ton of people sign up for our free beta. So that tells me that people really want it because we've got tons. Mm-hmm. Of, you know, I'll get an email from somebody the other day like, when is Project Blue going to go away? Because I, I love it. I really don't want it to go away. I use it part of my workflow. I'm like, yes, that's awesome. <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad people like it or are using it. Um, and so next year, Project Blue will eventually go away, and it will become part of the official Astropad studio. And it will get Windows nice. support. So that's that's the big yeah. thing that's next for us,
0: because I, I can see a lot of use too, especially on Windows. Like that's where all the 3D artists are, because the yeah, Mac has exactly is exactly. like pushing yeah. that out of out and out and out. And maybe they'll change with the new hardware that Apple came out with, uh, but it won't be anytime soon. So, uh, like having specific feedback, like as you said, the curves and more accurate control, um, I think is what yep. people really want out of this.
2: Yep.
1: Yeah, and you know, even with Apple's new hardware, though the it's so much more affordable to get high-powered PCs. Yeah, than it's it a five thousand
0: dollars laptop if you want the good one. Right, right.
1: <laughs> and the kind of PC desktop PC you can build for five thousand dollars is insane. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
1: so, for that reason, I still see a lot of people on. You know, you need tons of storage. You need multiple massive GPUs that are really hot and you've got a sophisticated fan, right? So there's still going to be a place for that. Um, so I, I, I agree. I think for the same reason, I think 3d is going to be a big, big part of Astropad on windows. All the game developers too. They're all on windows. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Writing C++.
1: <laughs> yes, they are. Yes, they are. <laughs> Maybe the only ones that like C++.
0: They're just stuck with it. Yeah, um, they're stuck. So very it's a very, very last question. Uh, since your team has grown, are you still coding or are you more managerial at this point? No,
1: more manager these days. Um, I wrote the codec originally, so I dip into that from time to time. I'm involved a lot with the development process, so I know what's going on. But mm-hmm. I haven't written much code for a while. Um, it's pretty much all it? the... Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely at times. It's... Uh... It's always fun when I have an excuse to go in and work on some code. Um, usually it's like if it's something super specialized and I'm just like the one to go in something with. Because um, we do a bunch of GPU stuff on the Mac too, Metal and OpenCL. And um, mm. there's some codec stuff. And I did a bunch of that originally. So if we need to go in and tweak it, like I'll go in and do it. And that that's always fun to get in there and get my hands dirty. I just don't have as much uh, un- uninterrupted time to do it now as, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. as I used to.
2: So yeah, this one. Um, imagine it's five years ago, and someone comes to you and tells you like, "Hey, when is Astropad and Luna coming to Windows?" What do you say to them?
1: <laughs> 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 well, this actually happened. Um, really? Yeah, people wanted Astropad on Windows and Luna for a long time, and there was a joke. Uh, for a while, we had like a community forum, mm-hmm. and. Uh, one of us, I don't remember if it was me or my co-founder, responded and said, like, we gave him a year. It was like, um, I forget. It was like, 20, oh, it's coming in 2017 or something. you know. And that's 2021, <laughs> and it's finally here. So we are off by many years. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> you did really it. We way underestimated the, we're like, oh, we're going to use GNU Step, and we're just going to run the Objective-C on Windows, and no big deal. We'll figure this out. How hard you know? could it be? Yeah, how hard could it be? <laughs> um the rewrite was really 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 hard. I don't know if Sidecar, if Sidecar hadn't happened, we might never have done it. It was that. Bad. Yeah.
0: that was the push. Could-
1: yeah, cuz otherwise we probably would have gotten into it and been like this is ridiculous. Like we can't we can't stop progress on the and rewrite for 2 years. Like we can't do this. But Sidecar mm-hmm. put us in a position we had no other choice. Yeah. So, it's a good That's fair. It's a good spot for the future now, though, right? Like, it sucked Mm -hmm. at the time, but now we've got a really good cross-platform base to work from.
0: Awesome. So this week's episode of Code Completion is brought to you by Sticky Widgets. Sticky Widgets is the absolute easiest way to put a sticky note on your home screen and edit it quickly. It's so easy, you never need to open the app itself. Add a sticky widget to your home screen through the iOS home screen editor and tap on it to edit. That's about it. Of course, there's tons of customization options as well. Font, color, text size, alignments, all conveniently located in the system's edit widget interface. As Add as many Sticky Widgets as you like and put them in a smart stack. Sticky Widgets are digital sticky notes for your phone. Use them however you like. Sticky Widgets is a free download on the App Store, and additional font and color options are available for a one-time in-app purchase. Thank you so much to Sticky Widgets for sponsoring Code Completion. Check out Sticky Widgets on the iOS App Store today. So now that we've gone through our topic, it's time for complete the code where we quiz our listeners on your knowledge of Swift Apple and all things development. Since I forgot to post anything about it last, about last week's prompt due to all the week's excitement, let's go over it one more time. So as always, if you are listening to the podcast, please check the podcast art or the show notes to follow along. So when a cell is tapped, we switch on an index paths row to determine which screen to present. What can go wrong in this code that switches on an index path when a cell is tapped? So uh, if you think you can complete the code, tweet your answer to us with hashtag complete the code, all one word. The first to get it right will get a shout out on our next week's episode. So with all that out of the way, it's time for Compiler Error, a segment where I get to test my fellow completionists and our guests' knowledge about Swift, Apple, and all things development. And today we actually have a theme, and that is uh, modern display technologies. So I figured oh, that no. would be right up your alley,
1: Matt. <laughs> <laughs> right, I have a chance. If you were getting me on Swift, it was going to be game over.
0: <laughs> okay, so I'll read over the statements one at a time, and then I'll pick one of you to go over them, and feel free to read them aloud one more time to share your thought process Uh, It's your chance to pick which one you think is fake and which one is the compiler error. And then I'll go to the other one and they'll get the chance uh, just the same. So statement number one, Thunderbolt 4 uh, not only supports DisplayPort 2.0, but also allows the full 80 gigabits per second to be dedicated for video output, allowing 8K displays up to a whopping 240 frames per second. Statement number two: display link allows displays to be connected over USB or Ethernet by using an adapter that transforms a data signal into a display port or HDMI signal. Statement number three: SDI or serial digital interface is the preferred connection on film sets, connecting cameras to recording equipment and allows for up to 48 gigabits per second over a single connection. And statement number four, also limited to 48 gigabits per second, HDMI 2.1 supports HDR 10 footage, of up to an 8K resolution at 120 hertz on supported cables. Uh, so, Fernando, since you know how this works, why don't you go first?
2: I may be having some connection issues, because there's no way I'm getting that right, and I have to blame it on <laughs> <at> something.
1: <laughs>
2: uh, damn, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> like, okay, let's let's, like... Come on, you wanted a bunch
0: of displays for your M1 <laughs> Mac, right? Now you gotta you got to know how those displays work, Fernando. Stupid, stupid M1. Uh,
2: Thunderbolt 4 is probably the best protocol in the world. So, yes, it can show 8K displays at 240 FPS. That's obvious. Obviously, <laughs> it's obvious. Uh, display link allows displays to be connected over USB or Ethernet by using an adapter no that's not true i don't think it's true sdi is probably a made-up interface in my mind i don't think it exists so (laughs) so no that is also not true also limited to 48 gigabytes per second hdmi supports hdr footage up to an 8k resolution at 120 hertz that is false. HDMI supports only thirty frames per second.
0: So it's three false. <laughs> there's three correct ones and one false one.
2: Exactly. So it's number one because Thunderbolt is the best.
0: So Thunderbolt is the fake one.
2: Oh damn! Oh no! I'm in <laughs> big trouble. <laughs> uh, uh, no. Okay. If it's fake, I want to say number two. Number
1: two is mm. not
0: true. Okay. Excellent choice. Uh, Matt?
1: <laughs> Please save me, Matt. Yeah, yeah. This is hard. This is hard. This is very hard. Uh, so number one. Uh, you wrote a video so th-
0: codec. How hard can this be? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know these, these <laughs> standards off the top of my head. Some of them like, uh oh, yeah. Actually, I look them up all the time. But uh, So, okay. So there's three true and one false. Right? yep okay so I am going to go with uh so number one, I believe is true um again i I think with like Fernando said that thunderbolt is, tends to be one of the most advanced connection types. It is true you can use all of the lanes on it for for video. Uh, so I believe that is um, – like that's actually how um, – now, now I'm going off topic a little bit. But the, the 5K displays work from Apple. Uh, it actually mm-hmm. only works over Thunderbolt. Um, it can't do a USB-C display port connection. doesn't have enough bandwidth. It has to be Thunderbolt. Mm-hmm. So I think number one is true. Number two is also true. Um, DisplayLink is a, is a company out there that sells adapters that, yeah, allow you to – Actually, does they do similar stuff, actually, to what we do in, in Astropad. So that's how I uh, know about them. SDI, uh, I'm not familiar with film set stuff, but I think that is true because there is uh, something called NDI. It's like network digital interface for cameras. So I have to imagine that that's like the successor to SDI. Uh, so I'm going to say that's true. Number four, I'm going to say this is false. Uh 10-bit HDR 8K at 120 hertz. I'm just suspicious that HDMI can do that much.
0: And excellent choice as well. Well, Uh, maybe I say number two is false?
1: Why?
2: (laughs) I panicked. There were just so many. I
0: I wonder too, and I'll explain why. (laughs) Oh my god, no. So Uh, let's start with number one. I have to go. Because you both agree with this one. Uh, So Thunderbolt is a connection where you have, uh, I believe, two lanes in each direction, um, and they're 20 gigabit lanes, uh, and that allows you to have 40 gigabits uh, bidirectional connection. Um, But what Thunderbolt 4 enables is to use all those lanes in one direction towards the display, and therefore you can get the full 80 gigabits uh, by setting it in that alt mode. Uh, So this one is absolutely true. Uh, and it allows you to do uh, stupid high bandwidth stuff, uh, which was up until now not really, uh, practical. Like even over fiber, uh, it's very rare to get fiber connections that are over like 40 gigabit in a data center. Like you are paying a lot of money for the little, uh, opt, for the optics, uh, for a hundred gigabit fiber connection. So this is right up there, uh, with that. So that's really neat. It's just a Thunderbolt cable. Which don't even need to be active anymore. I don't know if any of you knew that, but Thunderbolt cables can be passive now. Wow. As long as they're yeah. short enough. Uh, so that one's true. Uh, going to number two, Fernando, no. you in front of you, you use a no. little no. gizmo that gives you access to lots of monitors on your M1 Mac, uh, and that is powered by a display link. So I, I wonder often how, how you decide these, but this one is also true. Uh, <laughs> as you said, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's they, they set up a virtual display, um, unlike what you do with Luna Display, because with Luna Display, you actually present a display to the computer, yep. and it That's renders right. to a buffer, but you are capturing that in software and then sending it over the network, correct? That's right. Mm-hmm. So unlike that, uh, this does it entirely in software, probably through kernel hacks, uh, and they have not been super stable in the past uh, as a result of that. Uh but Fernando how how does it work for you? Does it work fine?
2: No. No. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually it's okay. Uh there is a little bit of uh like ghosting whenever I move windows around. Uh it's sometimes slow. Not super slow, but it's noticeable. But it gets me over the uh one monitor limit on the M1. So I'm happy and angry at the same time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So who knows why you picked that one? But number three, uh, so SDI, or Serial Digital Interface. uh, So let's give some background on this, since I happen to know a lot about it. Uh, It is a coax cable, plain and simple. Um, And with it, you tend to connect your cameras up to your recording or monitoring equipment. Um, And there have been various iterations of this, 3G SDI, 6G SDI, 12G SDI, um, and you can simulate like 12G SDI with with four 3G SDI cables. Um, So many cameras don't support 12G SDI, but they do support four 3G SDI signals coming out of it, um, and then you kind of patch it together as one uh, image on the receiving end, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, So, unfortunately, uh, 48 gig SGI is not a thing, because it's just one coax cable. So... Uh, sorry, everyone. Uh, this one is the <laughs> oh, compiler. We didn't get it. We didn't I hate get this it. game. <laughs> but, uh, and that means, sorry, Matt, uh, but you were wrong because this one is absolutely correct. HDMI mm. 2.1 can support HDR10 up to 8K at 120 hertz using That's display insane. stream compression. So it oh, compresses display the stream. stream
1: compression. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. yep. So, so then, Thunderbolt four could probably do. Is that using Display Stream Compression? Yeah. Then, then it could do. Oh, it has AKs, to. Display Stream Compression. Right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, but like it's it's a what's what's that called when you have a stable compression ratio? Like it doesn't it doesn't move forward or backwards. Um, so you, like you are still limited to certain resolutions. You can't do twelve K, for instance. It's still limited. Yeah. Um, to like a range. So it's not it's not omnipotent, uh, but it does it does do the job for uh, the tasks that you needed to. Um, and yeah. fun fact about Display Stream Compression: the Pro Display XDR 6K monitor supports it, but the 5K monitors do not. Uh, so if you Weird. wanted to like spec out a super Mac Pro, uh, which I may or may not have done, uh, <laughs> then you actually can't run as many 5K displays as you can 6K displays because mm. the 5K displays will use the full bandwidth of the Thunderbolt uh, cable because none of them use this DisplayPort 2.0 thing yet, uh, even though it exists. Um, so that will saturate everything and saturate the bus, whereas for the 6Ks, you can actually dial down the um, the dis- the stream so that way it doesn't use as much data, which is pretty cool. So uh, thanks... Yeah to both of you for getting that wrong. It's always fun. It's
1: <laughs> <That's> tough. That's <laughs> coming, tough. Up with, <laughs> coming up with
0: ones that people can't figure out. Um, <laughs> and uh, thank you so much, Matt, uh, for joining us today. Uh, is there anything else you'd like for our audience to know about?
1: Uh, well, if you want to check out our stuff, head over to astropad.com. Or uh, if you want to um, uh, find me, you can find me on Twitter at M-R-O-N-G-E. Uh, that's my Twitter handle, uh, M Um Otherwise, I also do a podcast, too, called uh, Building Astropad, where I kind of dive into some of the behind-the-scenes of, well, Building Astropad and the ups and downs and what we're going through at the time as well. So if that interests you, check it out as well.
0: Awesome. So, yeah, if you want to hear more details about what we went over, then that's the place. I don't think you'll hear it from anywhere else, in
1: fact. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs>
0: So as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Code Completion to know when new episodes get released. And feel free to tweet at us if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this. And we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. So once again, I want to give my thanks to Fernando, who is at From Junior to Senior. That's F-R-O-M-J-R. T-O-S-R on Twitter for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buñol. That's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L. And we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. All right. Thanks, guys.